Good morning to you all. Good. A couple. Oh, it's a live audience. That's good. That is good. Brought a couple of visual aids. We won't be long, but I do want to be intentional. Pastor Tyler, being on vacation, I would speak this morning about my book process and about my book project. And in preparing my thoughts for this morning, I hope these words are of encouragement to you because did Ross Jelseth ever five years ago think I was going to be writing a book? Now, I'd like to pause and simply ask you to think this thought. Think the thought that there's something that God, you, have been thinking about that you should do, but you have not gotten around to do it. So I would say to you, keep it on the front burner, give it time, be intentional, and as sure as I can write a book, you, you can do that thing you've been thinking about. Maybe you're praying about it, but you haven't done it yet. The reason I tell you that after I pray, I'm going to share with you something I did in 1977. Now, Brother Nick there, by the way, Nick, I wore my blue jeans today for you. True story, when I transferred from the school side over to the church, Brother Nick sat me down and talked to me about the church side dress code. Did he not? He did. He did. You know, when you're the head of a school, I might have worn jeans one time in 26 years. But Brother Nick said that's not going to work on our side of the campus. So, and I'm going to miss you here, by the way, but I'll stay true to the dress code. Okay, good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray that these words can be of encouragement to you and the lives of these, your people, who you've called into ministry. So, Lord, just let my thoughts be your thoughts, and let this audience, these people, receive what it is here for them. We thank you for Jesus, and everybody said, amen. So, uh, how many of you have read some of Simon Sinek's writings, or you've listened to his TED Talks? Some, okay? So, my, my favorite is a book that he wrote several years ago called Start With Why. So much of life, we get concerned about who, what, when, where, how, but in many cases, the question that goes unanswered to the point where people don't understand is the why. So here was my why on writing a book. In 1977, I did a six-week study on one topic, motivation. And the contents of this three-wing notebook I shared with the coaching staff at North Dakota State University. And each of the coaches on the staff got a copy of this compilation, all of which is about motivation. So when you do the math, 1977, long time ago, some of you weren't even thinking about being born in 1977. But here we are, 2020. So fast forward to 2015. 2015, I was diagnosed with two different types of cancer. So I ended up having three surgeries over the course of five months, the most extensive of which was November of 2015. I had two weeks away from school to recover from it. 
And during that time, I started, you have a, two weeks for someone who's used to being in a school every day is like way different. I'm alone a lot. My lovely wife, Ronnie, who was here this morning with me, obviously being a nurse, helped a great deal, but a lot of time to think, a lot of time to pray. During the course of that two weeks, I thought, and I prayed through, and I came up with 12 goals, because when you have cancer, you have a tendency, at least I did, to look at things a little bit differently. Think of times in your life where trauma has showed up. I believe it can be reason for change. It can be a stimulus to look at things differently. So in that regard, I came up with 12 goals, one of which was to write a book. And so when I transitioned out as head of school, some of those 12 were school goals, but those that weren't was now an opportunity to start that process. So I went back to 1977 in my thought pattern, and that book on motivation never got published. It got used. It was in my office from 1977 till I moved out of Life Christian's office, and now it's in my home office. I've used it every year. Motivation in 1977 still applies in 2020. Some things never wear out. Some things never get old. So I thought, okay, what did I learn from that process? Well, being a coach for 35 years, motivation was a big deal to me. It was part of my livelihood. Part of my role as a head football coach was to motivate people. So in 2017, I started to think about the end of my tenure at Life Christian Academy, and I started to move, as I said, to writing this book. So I decided I was going to do a focus on part of, and you can put up the slide now, because here's a picture of the book cover. When I was part of LCA, we came up with four core values, one of which was speak life to others. And it was our way of proactively dealing with the bullying issue that so many schools were struggling with. So we wanted to teach faculty and staff, students, families, that speaking life was the alternative, the positive approach to communicating with people. If you can't say something good, say nothing. But more importantly, say something good to people. Speak life. So to write a book, you have to do research. At least I did. So I sent out a card, just like this one, to thousands of coaches all over the country. And I asked them to send me three phrases or sayings that their players, their athletes, their assistant coaches would easily identify as something that, yes, Carrie Prosser used to say this over and over and over, or Michelle Cox said this, or Barbara Kelly said that. So I asked them to send these back to me. That process started in November of 2018. At that point, the book was a possibility. I didn't know how much of a response I would get. However, by the end of February, I had over 700 sayings back. So I knew, you know what, 700 is going to be enough. So the next step was 
take the sayings and one card at a time or one email at a time, I assigned a category to each one of those sayings. In the book, Winning Words, there are 11 chapters. The first chapter is on faith. The last chapter is on legacy. In between are chapters on training, discipline, motivation, humor, teamwork, relationships, success, character, and integrity. 11 chapters. And each of the 11 chapters has about 40 to 60 sayings at the end that the coaches and leaders from around the country contributed. So if you read the book, which is likely to be released late September, we may do a pre-sale. I'm in the marketing phase of it now. But when that book comes available, you read it. At the end of every chapter, you're going to have input from coaches and leaders from almost every state of the union there. And it's their favorite sayings that they use with their people. Now, here's the beauty of doing something you've never done before. Here's the beauty of it. Let me encourage you with this as well. This has been the most profound learning experience that I have gone through in a long time. Because when you haven't done something before, you really need to be open to how it is you learn how to do it. You have to receive input from people. You have no idea who they are on the other end of a phone. And you have to make decisions based upon your input, which is exciting. I have grown so much in this process of choosing a publisher, for example. I chose a faith-based publisher, feeling like God would honor that, so to speak, in amongst other organizations that sounded everybody's good. So I chose to go with Westbow Press, which is a division of Zondervan, which is the largest Bible publishing company in the world. So it's a faith-based publisher. In this process of writing and learning, initially, I didn't know exactly what these chapters would be all about, except I was going to put these sayings in. So the next thing I started to think was, okay, the sayings by themselves is not going to be enough. So what I decided to do, for example, the, the chapter on faith, I interviewed people that I had come in contact over the course of my at that point in time, 35 years of coaching, 26 years of being the head of a school, that I felt like would be very helpful to the content part of each chapter. And so I interviewed people from Texas, from Washington, from North Dakota, from New Jersey, from Florida, all over the place. My two favorite chapters in the book. One, I didn't even think there was going to be a chapter on this. But the more I started to interview people, you know what I found? So if I find this person in, in New Mexico, for example, and I'm talking to that person, not one of the people that I spoke to talked about what they had done alone. There was always relationship. Someone else had helped them become. Someone else had poured into them. What's the theme and the, the paraphrase on the book? Speaking life. Someone had come alongside them at just the right time to help them do what it is that I was interviewing. I had no idea who it was, but time after time in the interview process, some live and some over the phone, 
people told me about somebody else. So I thought, you know what? I got to do a chapter on relationships. My second most favorite chapter in the book is on perseverance. And one of my favorite sayings that I've used for years with teams and with people is there are two halves to life, passion and perseverance. You've got to have both halves. Passion will get you so far, but so many people, when it gets hard, when the obstacle seems insurmountable, they stop, and they might be 95% of their way to breakthrough, but they stop. Perseverance is the second half. So the second most favorite chapter for me is on perseverance. Give you a quick story on perseverance. One of my favorite moments in coaching. My first season at the University of Puget Sound, we got off to a horrible start, lost to Pacific Lutheran, first game of the year, didn't lose a game until game eight again, so we got it rolling, so to speak. Last game of the year, playoff implications, home game, 1985, we're favored to win, and my pregame motivation talk must not have been very good because with seven minutes to go in the fourth quarter, which is the last quarter, we're down 28 to seven. The team that we're playing had won two games. Now do the math. And we're the team that's got the national playoff implications, so we need the win. But you know what? In the last seven minutes of the game, we scored 28 points to win the game 35 to 28. <laughs> the next day, coaching staff were watching the film, and all of us cannot wait to get through the first 53 minutes of the game. But the last seven minutes, we can't wait to get to it. Those kids would not quit. Let me give you a couple of favorite stories. Here are people that you would know that are in the book. Fulton Buntain. I learned more from, about life from Fulton Buntain than any other person I've ever been around. Bob Abson's in the book. Kenton Lee and the Lee family's in the book. Wade Goodall's in the book. Chuck Caroni's in the book. Alumni from your school are in the book. Grant Taff, who was the head football coach at Baylor University for many years and was the first Christian football coach that I started to follow, is in the book. Grant sent me information with permission to use some of what he had written a book about as well. Jeff Thurell, who went to our school. When I first met him in the middle school, he was a pain to everybody there. And yet, because of relationship with Matt Foreman, which was one of the teachers that we hired, Jeff Thurell is a totally changed man now. So those are kinds of people. Tyler Sagan, who passed away way too young, the same class as my son Tyler in a drowning accident. Tyler Sagan's story, because Tyler's life was one of perseverance. He kept on keeping on. Let me close 
with this. Let me close with two things. Dirk Cruzy was a football player at North Dakota State University when I got there. But this is a true story. In college football, all kinds of players get recruited. Some people never get recruited, and they take that, never getting recruited, as not good enough to play. So in 1975, Dirk Cruzy showed up at the football office at North Dakota State University when the rest of the players showed up for fall camp. He walks down the hall, and not one coach on the staff knew who he was. Nobody. Everybody's kind of looking around like, well, who is this guy? So he got ushered into the head coach's office, sat down, and Jim Wacker, who was the head coach, said, Dirk, tell me now, why are you here? And he said, I want an opportunity to try out for the team. So Jim pulls a file of letters, lists, and he finds the kid's name from Baudet, Minnesota, small, small town. He said, Dirk, you were supposed to, you're supposed to report when school starts. Because if the kid reports when school starts, the football program doesn't have to pay his room and board for three weeks for fall camp. But Dirk said, Coach, I just want an opportunity to try out for the team. I want to start out when everybody else does. And then he said this. He said, Coach, I worked all summer long. I've got enough money to pay for my meals between now and, fall and school starting. And I've got a camper in the back of my pickup that I'm going to sleep in. It gets better. It gets better because later that afternoon, after Jim Wacker had said, go to the dormitory, get checked in, we'll get you gear, you can start out with the rest of the team. Walking over to the dining center for the first meal, Dirk Cruzy had stretched the truth because the pickup he was talking about, he had built wood sides on it, he had a tarp over the top. That was his camper. And inside of the back of the pickup was a sleeping bag laying on a mattress. He was going to stay there for three weeks, pay for his own meals. Fast forward, Dirk Cruzy over the course of the next four years became a two-time All-American defensive lineman. And think this thought, for those of you who aren't football fans, Dirk Cruzy was chosen the most valuable player in the North Central Conference. Defensive linemen just don't get chosen the most valuable player in any conference. That was the Dirk Cruzy story. And my last one is back to the book. Winning words, speaking life to influence others. I listened to a man speak on this platform when I was coaching football at the University of Puget Sound by the name of Bill Glass. And Bill Glass made a ministry after he retired from the NFL. His ministry is something we all can do, and this is the theme of my book. The person that you encourage may need that encouragement so bad, but you may not know it. You may be the only person that speaks encouragement into somebody that entire day. You're married, your wife needs encouragement. Never take it for granted. Your husband needs encouragement. Your children 
when you put them to bed at night, you got a couple of choices. Bill Glass talked for 25 minutes on this platform about giving the blessing, which simply means you speak life into people. Why would we withhold the blessing from people? And yet, so many of us withhold the words that can be so, so incredible. And Bill Glass, I never will forget this. The guy's probably 6'5", 250 pounds, retired NFL player. He's down here on this platform right there on his knees on a Sunday morning in, with tears in his eyes talking about sharing the blessing. So the book that I am working on, as I said, likely to be released late September. I am going to, I've given, I've prayed about this. I've given God permission to say, you know what, Ross? Do what the book tells you to do for the next two years. I don't know where it's going to take me, but I can tell you this. It's all about encouraging other people. And you think about the world we're in right now, this world needs so much encouragement. This world needs so much you can do it. And you know what? You don't need a big audience. You start with your own family. You start with your own children. You start with your grandchildren. People that you know in the, that you know need the blessing, but there's also the person in the grocery line at the store. You may be the only smile that person gets all day long. We're in the ministry. Our energy flow of speaking life into people should be at the top, should it not? We know the Savior, and the Savior needs to be known, amen? Fulton used to say, you cannot change yesterday. And I would add to what he used to say by saying, but you can change somebody's today. You can change somebody's today. So thank you for being my first public audience about the book. I've been doing podcasts for 21 weeks, but I'm just so excited about it. And most importantly, I just want to say to you, if I can do this, you can do what's on your heart and mind as well. Put it on the front burner. Stay after it. 1977, mine started. That's a long time ago, is it not? Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, these are your people. And God, I just pray that whatever it is I've said today has been of you. These people, give them encouragement. Put the right people in their path. Let people speak into them. Speak life. So, Lord, let us be people that speak into others. Belief, affirmation, care, concern, love, passion, Lord. And so, God, we thank you for the opportunity. I thank you so much for all I've learned through this process. And, Lord, I thank you for Jesus. And I thank you for Life Center and what it's meant to me and to our family. And now, yet one more generation of grandchildren, Lord, this is a special place. This is your place. This is your church. And everybody said, amen. Thank you.